So, at ICM, it's somewhat tradition to, at least over the years, to take a look at Kadesh Barnea, the Old Testament Exodus Jews, who decided that God was not God enough to believe and obey. And we would, we would often juxtapose that account in the Bible to Gideon and his 300 men outnumbered 450 to 1, who decided that God was enough God to obey. Um, there's a huge lesson there for every new year. I know that some of you will encounter trials and difficulties, and you will be facing what is seemingly uh, long odds. And you have to decide, right? In 2018, you have to decide, is God God enough or not? We're all faced with these choices. We're, we're all faced with, with these decisions. Will we obey the Lord? Will we believe Him and trust Him and obey Him or not? And I thought about preaching that again. I've preached it many times and I thought, you know what? I thought I would ask the Lord for a different message. But the takeaway from Kadesh Barnea, and for those of you who don't know, that's where the, the Exodus Jews came to the Promised Land God says, I'm going to give it to you. And they would not go in. They would not go in. They didn't believe God. And I think the takeaway there is that unrisky disobedience is always risky. The Old Testament Jews died in the wilderness because they would not believe God. They would not trust God nor obey Him. And the lesson I think we take away from Gideon is that risky obedience is always right. Even if it's risky, it's right. It's always right to obey God. It's always right to take Him at His word. It's always right to do these things, even when it looks hard. And it's going to look hard to you sometimes in 2018. But it's always right. Why is it right? What happened when Gideon and the boys obeyed the Lord? What happened? What? They obeyed the Lord and He showed up. God always does this in the Bible, right? When His people obey Him, He keeps His promises. You'll not find one, one promise in the Bible that God does not keep. So God says, uh, you know, here I am. I do what I do. Most of the world rejects the living God, the true God, the biblical God. Most, most people don't, they're not interested in Him. They're not interested in Jesus Christ. He's a nice religious icon, but He's meaningless in my daily life. Yeah, that's a cool story. It's like many other stories in the world. That's a cool story, but it, I'm never going to let it affect the way I live, the way I think. So, God says, here I am. You decide. You decide. 2018, you decide. Do you want me? Do you want me? Will you follow me? Will you love me? Will you trust me? Will you obey me? You decide. This is what God says to us every day. But this is a new year. It's a time to think deeply about these things. God says, will you believe me or not? Will you go with me or not? But tonight... The Lord has led me to Psalm 96. And I think that we might remember who Jesus is and what He's called us to. As I started to read over Psalm 96, 
it's you and me on the page, right? <laughs> this is who God has called us to be as we look at the text. I'm going to begin tonight with a short personal story. It was the summer of 1996. Um, Karen and I were at a local Christian bookstore in Little Rock, Arkansas. And there was a huge table of discounted books. You know, when they want to get rid of the books, they're a dollar in the States. So they put all these books on the table, and they're a buck, right? So I'm looking through these books, and I come across this book, and it's entitled, Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. How many of you know this book? Okay. Some of you know this book. Um, okay. This sounded like cognitive dissonance to me. Christian hedonist. It sounded like the quintessential oxymoron, a Christian hedonist. And I didn't understand it. And I was intrigued. I remember my first thought was, what is he talking about? Who is this John Piper guy? And what in the world is he talking about? These words don't logically go together. Christian and hedonism, they do not go together. My second thought was, this guy must be some kind of liberal heretic or some wacky, goofy um, prosperity gospel guy. My third thought was, maybe he gets it. Maybe he's saying what I have always known was true in my heart, but I could never articulate. And Karen and I are standing there, and I'm looking at this book, and it's hurting my head, and I can't figure out what this John Piper guy's talking about. And my pastor walks up behind me, taps me on the shoulder. And I said, Lance, this title is killing me. He said, read it. And the pain will go away. So I did. I bought it, I read it, I discovered that John Piper is not a liberal heretic or a goofy prosperity guy. I discovered that he was an exceptional theologian and that he was speaking to my heart from the Word of God. This book helped crystallize what I knew was true about Christianity. It's not about ought and should, it's about desire. It's about desire. That's the heart of what it is in the true believer's heart. Lightning struck my heart and soul again and again as I read the book. God is a breathtaking God of infinite beauty, happiness, and exuberance. Yes! 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 He is! Now, there may be one or two of you in here that simply think He's, he's, a, he's a distant God that I'm just supposed to obey because I'm supposed to. Well, yes, of course you ought to obey your Creator. But Christianity is much deeper than that. In the Christian life, we find that our deepest pleasure is in knowing God and obeying God. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, mankind's desire for pleasure is what? You remember what Lewis says? It's not too strong, it's too what? Weak. Why? How does he know this? Because the whole world is running from God. The whole world is playing with sin. It's saying, no, I understand that God is offering Himself to me. I understand from the Bible this is what He's doing, but I would rather have this stuff. Right? This is a great insult to God and our great loss if this is how we see the world. You know, Lewis said it like this, mankind is far too easily pleased. 
I'm just going to hazard a guess that some of you may be far too easily pleased. You may have settled for some lesser pleasure than walking with Jesus Christ. And I think you would fall into that category of being far too easily pleased. Again, this is a great insult to God. It's what Piper's saying in his book, Desiring God. Mankind has exchanged the paramount pleasure afforded to him for sugar-coated substitutes in the world. And this is the exhortation I have for you tonight. If you're doing this, I'm going to call you to repent from John, pardon me, from Psalm 96. So let me stop and define hedonism for you. It is the pursuit or devotion to what? You tell me. Pleasure. So what in the world does Piper mean by Christian hedonists? We pursue God. God, we have discovered the ultimate truth of the cosmos. God is the ultimate pleasure to the soul and heart of mankind, right? We, we get it. And so we, we are pursuing. It's right for us to pursue pleasure because God is the consummate pleasure. Now, if you're pursuing your pleasure elsewhere, you have settled and you are far too easily pleased. This is the critique of C.S. Lewis. God is our greatest pleasure. Jesus Christ is our consummate pleasure. He says, I have come to give you what? A nominal life of keeping rules as a religious man or woman. Jesus says, I give you Myself. I give you life. Here I am. Why then should you die? I offer Myself to you. You the rebel. You the sinner. You who really, by rights, should just get justice, which means we would all land in hell. God says, no, I offer Myself to you. And so I'm going to ask you in 2018, are you going to take Him up on the offer? Are you going to believe Him and love Him and know Him and give yourself away to Him like you never have before? 2018 can be your best year ever. You know how it will be your best year ever? You become a Christian hedonist. And let your highest pleasure be in God. Every day, your highest pleasure is in God. Not in my career, not in my family, not in my kids, not in my spouse, not in my pile of money, not in my portfolio, not in my acclaim, not in my, my renown. It is in God. It's the freedom Jesus is talking about in John 8, right? You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So, you remember Lewis's, uh, yeah, his complaints against God. He was reading the Psalms. Lewis was an atheist at this time. And he, he's reading the Psalms and he hears this, this, this mantra from God. Praise me, praise me, praise me, praise me. We've talked about this numerous times in this church. I, 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 I presume that some of you have heard this multiple times. But when God says praise me, what is... What is the implicit invitation here? Is he like Lewis thought an old woman in search, of a, in search of her next compliment? What is God saying here? When you read the Word of God and God commands us to praise Him, He's saying, come and enjoy Me. Because praise is always the consummation of joy. God is saying, come. 
come and enjoy me. And, and the challenge of, of Psalm 96 for you and me in 2018 is to come and enjoy Jesus Christ above any and all. So, Christian hedonism, it's not logical dissonance. It's not an oxymoron. It's not funky prosperity theology. It's biblical Christianity. And as we get into the text here, Psalm 96, uh, we see the the pure pleasure of the psalmist that he finds in God alone. He finds it in God. He mentions the Lord or Yahweh 11 times in 13 verses. And he gives us 16 characteristics or distinctives or truths about God. And parallel to this, he gives us nine characteristics of God's people. So let's begin here. Psalm 96, verse 1 and 2. You heard me read it earlier. Let me read it again. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. This is the first characteristic of a Christian hedonist. We sing to God. Nobody sings like a born-again Christian. Have you ever noticed none of the world religions sing like biblical Christianity? We sing as a redeemed man or woman to our Redeemer. (laughs) Of course, no world religion can even come close to that, right? Of course we sing with a joy and an ambiance that cannot be touched elsewhere. So, it's in the text three times in the first two verses. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Let me ask you, is that the signature of your life? I'm not just talking about what we just did in here. I'm talking about your life. Your life should sing. Your life should be a symphony symphony to the sufficiency and the treasure that Jesus Christ is in your life. Right? Everybody in your orbit knows you're in love with Him. Nobody doubts it. It's not because you're, you know, physically, literally singing at your workplace. It's how you live. It's how you speak. It's how you respond. It's a song to God. Christians sing. The Christian hedonists sing. We sang the song, and I appreciate Orazio. He didn't know what I was going to preach and I appreciate him, appreciate him singing the song, Joyful, Joyful. And I was thinking about the old hymn, you know. Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee. Do you know the old, How many of you know this hymn? Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee. What does it say? He is what? The giver of what? Does anybody remember? It's one of my favorite lines in, in, in any hymn ever. He is the giver of? Bam. Are you a Christian hedonist? You will be if you have met Jesus, right? (laughs) You will be. He's the giver of what? Immortal gladness. Divine gladness. God-sized gladness. This is what He gives His people. It doesn't matter if you martyr us. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. 
I have immortal gladness. I have divine gladness. I have the gladness of God. Do your worst. It's like Paul sitting in a prison and he writes the book to the Philippians. And he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You can't have my joy. He's in prison. He writes what is called the epistle of joy. You can't have his joy. His joy is immortal. To live is Christ, to die is someone tell me. It's gain. It's just gain. You know, if you ever get to that place, you are absolutely, totally free to be a radical Christian. And until you get to that place, you're absolutely not free to do that. You are still encumbered by some fear or concern or anxiety. Some fear of loss. Beloved, Paul says... (laughs) Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Well, to die is to lose everything else that we know. But Paul says it's gain. Why is it gain? Because we're Christian hedonists. Because we treasure and Christ above all things. He's our pleasure, our consummate pleasure, our supreme pleasure. Yeah, we have subordinate pleasures here. Of course we do. God gives many blessings to us. But we don't turn them into idols and little gods by putting them above Him. He is our supreme treasure and our supreme pleasure. I love what uh, the old 17th century theologian says about this. We have a new song because we have new affections. Amen? We have a new affection. God is our affection. We are spoiled for this world. We are spoiled for this world. And so we see this Jewish prophecy that all the earth will sing unto the Lord. This is not merely a Jewish song. It is a global song. God's elect encompasses every nation, tongue and tribe. Revelation chapter 5. It's the first global hit. Right? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. He is Creator, He is Redeemer, and He fills my soul. And He will fill my soul for a billion eternities. He will do that. We are Christian hedonists. We understand the Romans thing, right? We were enemies, but what are we now? What are we now? Tell me. We were enemies, but now we're co-heirs. Romans 5, Romans 8. We were enemies, now we're co-heirs. We had a huge problem. It's gone. We had a huge problem. The wrath of God was resting on us. It's gone. In Christ Jesus, it's gone. I know some of you have problems in your life. I, I, have, some, I have a few in my life. But my biggest problem is gone. Jesus took it away. My joy is in Him. My joy that He has loved me like this. Verse 2, that second characteristic of an authentic Christian hedonist is what? We what? 
We tell. We declare. What does it say? We declare or proclaim the enemies, uh, the enemy to co-heir thing. Right? We we live that. We say that. We tell that. We proclaim that. We declare that. It's what Christians do. I'm calling you to do this in 2018. You say, well, Jim, I have a problem witnessing in the world. I'll just ask you. You know, this is what God's left you here to do. So. You, you need to practice up, man. You need to get good at it, right? He's left you here to what? Go and what? Tell about who He is and what He's done. It's what disciples do. It's what disciples have always done. There are a lot of church members who never do it, but that's a whole different issue. Disciples, born-again believers, tell. And the psalmist says, we declare and proclaim. We do that. It's what we do. It's our great joy to do this. The Christian hedonist declares the power of his or her salvation in the way we live every day. It is our truest and best evangelism. Verses 3 and 4. Tell of His glory among the nations and His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all the gods. We not only proclaim the gospel of God, verse 2, we tell about the greatness of God. We don't simply, you know, uh, do the rope gospel presentation. We're also telling about the greatness of God. This is a problem in the world, right? There's just a lot of ignorance about the greatness of God. The God who speaks two trillion galaxies into existence and man says, no, I'd rather play with my sin. You know? I'd rather watch television. We need to speak about the biblical greatness of God. What does He say about Himself? Karen and I always teach this. You've got to know what God says about Himself. What does He say? Do you know the Bible? Do you know what He says? Are you telling your friends and family and colleagues in the world what God has said about Himself? He is a God worthy of our worship. We are missionaries. Why, are, why, why is every true Christian a missionary? Why is that true? You say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. This is all wrong. You are. <laughs> you say, well, you may not vocationally be like me, but you are. You are a missionary. Why? Why do we know this? Because you're passing through. You don't belong here. This is a foreign culture to you. Right? Internationals, we understand about living in a foreign culture. The whole world is a foreign culture to us. We do not belong here. We are citizens of heaven. So we're missionaries here, right? missionaries to go as Jesus says to make disciples for he is a glorious verse 3 he is a glorious God and we proclaim verse 3 his deeds because they are wonderful and verse 4 he is he is great the incarnate crucified buried God who has redeemed his people by the shedding of His blood, and He is fearsome. He is above all other so-called gods. Revelation 6, For men will cry out that the mountains and rocks would fall upon them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. We proclaim and we tell. Not the cartoon Jesus. 
that much of the modern church is preaching. We don't, we don't deal with cartoons and yeah, the false Jesus. We, we talk about the biblical Jesus. We take people to the Word. We show them, hey, this is where I'm getting this. I'm not making this stuff up. This is coming from the Bible. The Word of God. Verse 5 and 6, For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. These other so-called gods are idols. I looked at another translation that uh, translate this as the, the, all the gods of the peoples are for naught. They are nothing. They are zero. So I think, I think each translation helps us to understand. The problem with the word idols is many moderns think, well, I'm exempt here because I, I don't bow down before a piece of carved wood. Well, there are many kinds of idols, right? And there are many in our modern culture. Many people idolize their families, they idolize their children, they idolize their careers, they idolize their money, they idolize their possessions, they idolize fame, they idolize fortune. You know, there are many idols. So, we are not exempt here. We are not exempt. But I like that he says, these false gods are for naught. Our God made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary, right? That's our God. Not some little make-believe God or some idol we've made. Our God is the God of splendor and majesty. These false gods, these false idols are worthless and valueless. So, I love what God tells us as I say to you over and over and over again from Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has put eternity in your heart. And you, are, you know right now, you know. You, you know if your heart is brimming. You know if your heart is full. Or you know if your heart is wanting. You know these things. I, I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. I can fool you. You can fool me. But God has put eternity in your heart. There's a raging thirst in your heart for Him. And the whole world is trying to fill that up with something else, right? But we know that's not possible. I love God's invitation in Isaiah 53, 1-3. Pardon me, Isaiah 55, 1-3. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why do you spend your life on that which will never satisfy you? You say, Jim, well, the world is selling me this bill of goods that if I have the perfect family, I'll be happy. If I just have the perfect kids, the perfect spouse, well... Of course, those of us who are married and have had children, we know there's no such thing, right? It can be good. It can be very good. There's no such thing. Well, if I could just have the perfect career or, you know, achieve my goals, achieve self-actualization, whatever, then I'd be happy. No, you would not be happy. You must have God. 
You must have God. I think each of you in here knows that to be true. John Piper is right. Real Christians are the ultimate hedonists. We will be satisfied with nothing less than God. We are true hedonists. Verse 7, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come to His courts. Here are the fourth, fifth, and sixth characteristic of a Christian hedonist. We ascribe, which means to give or assign or attribute glory and strength to Yahweh. It's what we do. It's Hebrews 11. I always end up back at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is about ordinary men and women who made much of God in their life by faith. That's it. It's what we do. And we give glory to God in living that lifestyle. And there's this very specific command there in verse 8, right? What? The context here is corporate worship. Bring an offering and come into His what? Courts. Which I guess in our modern vernacular would be to come into the church. Come into His courts. Come into the church. And worship the Lord. If you read the Psalms, you see this over and over and over again, this idea of corporate worship. It's why ICM exists for English speakers from all over the world who want to worship the Lord Jesus in English. That's why I guess the Lord has left the door open for 14 years. Um, people just keep coming. You know? We have a very, very small group tonight, but people come through the door. They want to worship Jesus. So, it's what we do. It's what we do. The fifth and sixth characteristic of Christian hedonism is that we come into His courts and what? We bring Him an offering. We don't talk about money much in this church because I don't want you to think we're about money. But God has a lot to say about money. It's an expression of worship. It's simply an expression of worship. We love the Lord we love the Lord more than we love our money. And we love God more than what money can buy. I'll simply, for the sake of time, just read one quick verse to you, which is what is on that uh, little framed uh, notice there. This is how we believe about giving. God says, He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. We do not give grudgingly or under compulsion, but we are cheerful in our giving. Verse 9 and 10. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. These are the seventh and eighth characteristics of a Christian hedonist. We worship in holy attire. What's he talking about? Is he talking about whether you're wearing Gucci or whatever? Whatever Orazio wears, I don't know. Whatever. He's not talking about what you're physically wearing. He's talking about your heart clothed, right? Clothed in Jesus Christ. He's talking about the true believer, the born-again believer. 
the one who loves God. He comes to corporate worship reverent, sincere, earnest, repentant, submissive, humble, adoring. And the word I used earlier, expectant. I expect God to meet me here among God's people under the Word of God. I expect God to speak to me from His Word. I'm meaningless. Okay, the pastor is almost always totally meaningless. What, what it has meaning for you is what God is saying to you through me. The, the only value I have is, is I'm having integrity with the text. That's the only value I have. Am I being honest with you from the text? Other than that, I have no value whatsoever. God is speaking to us. God is speaking to us from His Word, right? So we come expectant to hear what God has to say to us. And verse 8 here, pardon me, the eighth uh, characteristic, we tremble before God. I had a question about this over the holidays. The young man asked me about the fear of God. Was it, is, it, is it a good thing? I said, of course it's a good thing. Have you ever read the Bible? The Bible has all of these blessings associated with the fear of the Lord. Let me just give them to you quickly. And if you want the Scripture references, email me and I'll send them to you. To fear the Lord means we have God's friendship. We have God's watch care. We have God's wisdom. We have God's protection. We have God's provision. We have God's pity, God's pleasure, God's satisfaction, and God's love. Fearing God is full of blessing, beloved. What does it mean? It means to humbly and reverently be a creature before your Creator. I mean, you know, everybody that saw Him in the Scriptures, they hit their face as fast as they could. Even those who knew Him, John knew Him in the Revelation. He saw the exalted Christ. Bam! He hit His face. It's a creature in right standing before a Creator. I love how Charles Spurgeon, 19th century British preacher, talks about this. He says, we, are, we tremble before the Lord, a sacred kind of trembling consistent with joy. Our hearts quiver with an awful excess of delight. I absolutely love that quote. Our hearts quiver with an awful excess of delight. It's Christian hedonism. In verse 10, we see the ninth and final characteristic of the true believer. We say that Jesus is the Lord who reigns, the God who judges the world. Again, we in this church, we don't talk about the cartoon Jesus, meek and mild, who will not judge anybody. We don't, you know, that's why, like I told you last time we were together, it's why the world loves Christmas. They've got God in a manger. He's a baby. He's no threat there. But he's not a baby anymore. He will judge his enemies. This is the Word of God. He will do it. He will judge his enemies. As the text says, verse 10, he will judge the peoples with equity. What does it mean with justice? Perfect justice will be meted out in one of two places. How will this happen? You know. If you know your Bibles, you understand. Perfect justice is meted out on the cross of Jesus. For His people and or perfect justice is meted out in hell. All moral accounts will be settled either in the cross or in hell. This is the Gospel. This is the Word of God. This is what God says. I know that most of the modern church doesn't preach about hell anymore, but you have to, you know, edit God to remove that biblical truth from His Word. 
He will judge with equity. Every human being gets exactly what he or she deserves. But the Christian, for the Christian, Jesus gets what I deserve. All moral accounts are settled. There will be no outstanding moral accounts. They are all settled either at the cross or in hell. So, verse 11 through 12. Let the Okay, I'm going to ask you, why is the created order worshiping? Okay? Verse 11, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that it contains. Let the field exalt and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Why is this happening? Someone tell me from the next verse, from verse 13, is it? Yes, why is this happening? Why is, why is the created order worshiping? Why is it worshiping? What's, what's going to happen? What does it say? Jesus is coming. The created order worships in anticipation. Jesus is coming back. And everything will be set right. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. Paul references this, Romans 8, 19-22. There's this anxious longing of creation waiting eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God for creation has been subjected to futility and longs to be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Do you know, beloved, that the earth groans under the weight of billions of rebels against God? The creation hates it. The creation hates it. But God is so long-suffering and so gracious and so merciful, He gives another day of opportunity to repent. God is merciful and long-suffering. The created order eagerly anticipates and worships at the prospect of the Son of God Returning, The heavens are glad. The earth rejoices. The sea and all it contains roar. The field and all that is in it exalt. The trees sing at the thought of Jesus' return. So, in Psalm 96, the psalmist is taking pleasure in who God is. This is my assignment to you in 2018. If you'll take me up on this, it'll be the best year you've ever had. If you will set your heart on delighting in God... Yes, you can delight in your family. God means for you to. Yes, you can delight in doing a good job. Yes, God means for you to. Yes, you can delight in, in the comforts of home. I, I, we stayed with some friends and he kept thanking God for the comforts of home. Yes, you can delight in the comforts of home that God has uh, provided for you. But your preeminent, supreme pleasure and treasure and delight is God Himself. It's what the psalmist is doing here. Let me just reiterate that for you. The 16 characteristics of God. He's just delighting in who God is. God is Lord. He is glorious. He is the author of wonderful deeds. He is great. He is fearsome. He is creator. He is uh, splendorous. He is majestic. He is strong. He is beautiful. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is judge. He is righteous. He is faithful. And He is coming. I know you have problems. But your biggest problem was you were alienated from this great God and you are no more. 
how can you not go out in the world and share this good news? How can you... Listen, when it gets hard and tough and the trial comes and the loss comes and the grief comes, I, I know all this comes. I'm 63 years old. Almost. I know all this comes. I've experienced all of this. But God's bigger. Our delight in God is bigger. Our joy in God is bigger. Right? If you know Him, you understand that what I'm saying is true. And because He is bigger, the true believer, and let me just reiterate the nine characteristics of God's people, the true believer, believer happily sings, proclaims, tells, ascribe, and ascribes glory to God. The, the true believer comes to God's house and brings an offering. The true believer, he worships and he fears the Lord. The true believer shares the truth about Jesus' return and judgment. This is what I, I'm calling you to do from God's Word in, in 2018. You be that man or that woman. You be God's man in that, or that woman in the world. You proclaim a great God. You let your song be heard. Piper's right. True Christianity is about Christian hedonism. It's not about ought and should. It's about desire and delight. And if you do not delight in Jesus, I will say to you, you do not know Him yet. If you can say to me, Jim, I honestly have no great delight in Jesus, then I, I will tell you you haven't met Him yet. Because if you have met Him, <laughs> you will delight in Him. So, I'll ask you, are you a hedonist? Are you a Christian hedonist? Have you found your true joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in Jesus Christ? Are you His? If you don't claim to be a Christian tonight, we're glad you're here. And I will tell you by the authority of the Word of God, who made the heavens, verse 5, Psalm 96, I invite you to discover the pleasure you were created for. His name is Jesus Christ. And don't let Satan lie to you. And don't be deluded, as the book of James says. God means for 2018 to be all about God in your life. That's what He means for it to be. You decide. You decide if that's what it is going to be. Or if it's going to be about something else, you know, something that's more important to you, you know. God means for it to be all about you and Him. That's what God... God's going to give you another year of life, maybe. Maybe one more day. Maybe one more hour. Maybe I'm going to fall over here with an aneurysm any moment. But whatever time I have, what? It's between me and God. It's about me and God. That's the important thing. At the end of the day, it's about me and God. That's what it's about. That's what today is about. That's what every day in 2018 needs to be about. About you and God. I know life can squeeze in and I know that there are a lot of things to deal with. I know that, but we are to magnify God in all of these little things. In all of these little trials. All these little difficulties. We are to magnify God. We are to worship God in them, beloved. If you have a hard time with that, all you got to do is go to Psalm 96 and see what He says. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. 
This is what I want 2018 to be for me. And I pray that it would be so for you. I pray that you would embrace your Christian hedonism and that you would live it to the full. And when we meet on the other side, you come and tell me if that was a mistake. You come and tell me that radically giving yourself away to God and loving Him with your life, you come and tell me if that was a mistake. You come and tell me if 2018 was the best year of your life because you decided to incarnate Psalm 96. We're going to celebrate the table tonight.